It's interesting that um, sometimes the Christmas season, this season that is filled with so much hope and joy and celebration and all of that can actually contribute to a sense of hopelessness because it magnifies our pain. Like we feel lost during this season. We just feel lost sometimes more deeply. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of some hopes and dreams that we had for the future, the loss of a sense of what we thought life was gonna be like when we got to this point. When it seems like the whole world is celebrating, it makes our pain just seem a little bit more glaring. So it's a good time to talk about hope. Where we find hope, how we nurture hope, what it looks like to experience hope in the midst of despair, in the midst of pain. Uh, if you have a friend who could use a little hope, I, I hope that you will invite them to be a part of this series. Uh, if you could use a little hope, I hope that you'll show up each week and allow God to speak to you and your heart through this series. We're gonna begin the series by looking at this incredibly famous passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 9 actually, that has brought hope to the people of God for centuries and continues to bring hope. It's about the coming of the Messiah. This is what it says. And there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. This was hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus and the incarnation in the first Christmas. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is an amazing, amazing message of hope. Isaiah is saying that when the Messiah comes, now this is like I said, hundreds of years before Jesus and the incarnation. So he does not know, Isaiah does not know the details of the incarnation. He does not know about Jesus of Nazareth. But God through his Holy Spirit gives him this prophetic word about this coming Messiah that we know to be the person of Jesus Christ. And he says that when the Messiah comes, there will be no more gloom. Can I get an amen for that? No more gloom, no more despair for those who are in distress. What an incredible, incredible promise. Now, how does that promise, how does that incredible promise become a reality in our lives? And I think there are three things that we have to embrace if we're gonna move from despair to hope in our own lives. First thing is this, we have to acknowledge that the problem is worse than you think. Like however bad you think the problem is, it's worse than you think. Isaiah says that the people walking in darkness, darkness have seen a great light. The whole idea of Christmas is that God entered into a world that was dark 
and did not have the resources to deal with its own problems. The message of Christmas is actually very confrontational. Like we tend to think about Christmas and it's filled with joy and hope and and it's positive and it's celebratory and it's about a little baby that was born in a manger and we kind of create these, these beautiful little images about it and all of that is true and we declare all of that. But actually Christmas, the message of Christmas is very confrontational. It's a reminder of just how messed up we are. We're so messed up, we're so unable to deal with our own problems that the God of the universe had to take on flesh and enter this world just to set things right, just to fix things. Now, if you're a parent, you immediately understand this because parents deal with this all the time. When your kids are down in the basement or in another room and they're misbehaving, the first thing you do as a parent is what? You send down your word. You send down your word. You say, don't make me come down there. Like you send down your word, you send down your advice and you say things like, share the toys. There are plenty of toys, share the toys or stop fighting or don't hit your brother, whatever it is. Like you send down your word. And then if they can't work it out on their own, your word becomes incarnate. It becomes incarnate, it takes on flesh. You have to go downstairs in the flesh to help them deal with the things that they cannot handle on their own. You have to fix the things that they cannot fix. The message of Christmas is that the God of the universe has come downstairs. The God of the universe has entered the room in the flesh to fix things that we could not fix on our own. The message of Christmas is that the world is so messed up. <laughs> Come to Fairfax and hear a message of hope. That the world is so messed up, that the darkness is so pervasive. That's the message of Christmas. The people who are in the darkness have seen a great light. That the darkness is so pervasive that nothing less than the incarnate presence of God himself can fix things can make things right. That's the first thing. Secondly, if we're gonna move from despair to hope, we have to embrace the reality that hope always exceeds our ability to comprehend it. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary and made this announcement, the angel said this, do not be afraid, Mary, you've found favor with God. You will be with child, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and we, he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Now, what was Mary's response to that? Did Mary say, oh, a virgin birth, how wonderful. That's what Christmas is all about. Like, that's wonderful, that's meaning. No, she said the same thing that someone would say today. She said, that's impossible. I can't get pregnant. I've never even had sex. And, and what's my son supposed to be when he grows up? Oh, the savior of the world, right. That's gonna happen. 
the whole thing challenged her paradigm about how the world worked, about how God worked, about her worldview, like all of it changed her paradigm. It challenged her paradigm about what was possible and what was impossible. You know, sometimes we look back on biblical characters, we go, oh, well, they were so naive and they didn't have science that we have, and so it was so easy for them to believe things that now we find it hard to believe because we have scientific understanding and all that. No, no, no. No, it was just as impossible to her as it would be to someone today hearing that story. Like she goes, no way. This is absolutely impossible. This, this, does not, this does not fit with my paradigm of how the world works and how things work and how even God works. But then in verse 37, the angel reminds her of this. Nothing is impossible with God. Can I get an amen for that? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And that changes everything. Like when nothing is impossible with God and you believe that nothing is impossible with God, that changes everything. And even though none of this made sense to Mary and she could not comprehend any of this, she could not connect the dots, she could not get her head around it. She says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, so may it be to me as you have said. If we're gonna move from despair to hope, we have to embrace the reality that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. That nothing is impossible with God. That with God, the divine can become human. That with God, the infinite can become finite. That with God, relationships can be restored. That with God, bodies can be healed. That with God, we can face death without fear. With God, we can move beyond our past. That with God, we don't have to be defined by the worst thing that we have ever done. That with God, we can forgive our enemies. That with God, we are worthy of love. No matter what we have done, no matter who we are, that with God, we are worthy of love. That with God, nothing is impossible. Can you say that with, with God? That with God, that with God, that with God, with God, nothing is impossible. Thirdly, if we're gonna move from despair to hope, we have to realize that praise drives out despair. Look at verse six again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, a lot to unpack there. I don't have time to unpack it all. But what I want you to notice is that all of these descriptions of Jesus that Isaiah gives are expressions of praise. Isaiah is praising the Messiah here. The prophet Isaiah is praising this coming Messiah. And he's saying that others will praise him as well. He says he will be called mighty God. He will be called wonderful counsel. He will be called everlasting father, prince of peace. He's talking about those who will in the future put their faith in this Messiah. He's talking about us. He's saying that we will call God 
we will call Jesus mighty God, that we will call Jesus wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now again, I don't have time to unpack the implications of each of those titles, but let me just touch on them. Jesus, Isaiah says, is the wonderful counselor. Calling Jesus counselor means that Jesus is the true source, the ultimate source of wisdom. The Bible says that God makes foolish the wisdom of this world. But Jesus is not just the counselor. He's not just wisdom. He is the wonderful counselor. His wisdom allows us to experience a kind of childlike wonder in our own lives. Isaiah says that Jesus is the mighty God. Now the word mighty there is the Hebrew word gabor. It means hero or champion. Isaiah is declaring that Jesus is the hero, the champion who overcomes overwhelming odds and yet is always victorious, that he is the hero who never loses a battle. We sing those songs, Isaiah says, that is who Jesus is. That is who this Messiah is. He is the hero who never loses a battle. He is always fighting on our behalf. Jesus is the everlasting father, Isaiah says. Isaiah is saying that this hero, this champion, who never loses a battle, is your dad, is your father. He brings you into a family that loves you and supports you and stands by you. And then he says that Jesus is the prince of peace. Now I wanna hang with this one for a little bit longer because the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And as many of you know, shalom is not just the absence of conflict, that when shalom is used, it's not just declaring that there's no conflict that's taking place. Shalom is the presence of something. It is the presence of flourishing. It's flourishing. It's flourishing in every way. It's spiritual flourishing, emotional flourishing, relational flourishing. It's physical flourishing. It's economic flourishing. It's flourishing in every way. And Isaiah is reminding us that the Messiah did not come just to get you out of your own little personal despair. Jesus came to get the whole world out of despair. Jesus came to get rid of poverty, to get rid of injustice, to get rid of violence, to get rid of war, to get rid of disease, to get rid of death. Now, we're not there yet. There is a not yetness in all of that that we are experiencing until Jesus returns. But that's where this whole thing is headed, to perfect, to perfect shalom to perfect flourishing, that we are called to be the people that, that bring about, that God uses to bring about flourishing in part in the moment as we rush toward, as we move toward this perfect shalom, this perfect flourishing that will take place when Jesus returns. Now here's the question. If we know all of this, like cognitively, if we know all of this, if we know that Jesus is the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting father and the prince of peace, 
then why is it that sometimes that we are just as anxious, we struggle just as much with our self-esteem, we get hurt just as easily, we get our feelings hurt just as easily, we are just as materialistic sometimes as those who have not put their faith in Jesus. Like what gives with that? Like if Jesus is, and we know that he is, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, then why would it not at times change the way that we function and the way that we live? And the answer to that has everything to do with praise or the absence of praise in our lives. Sometimes, even for those of us who follow Jesus and love Jesus, sometimes God just becomes a means to an end. We need help and we know that God can help. So we ask God for help. Help with our finances, help with our relationships, help physically in our bodies, help with certain situations that we're facing, help, because God can help. But praise is different. Praise doesn't just see God as a means to an end. Praise is the product of just enjoying God for who he is. You know, we just naturally praise the things that we enjoy. We praise our, our favorite song. We can't, we can't help telling other people about it and, and praising it and say, you gotta listen to this song. We praise our, our favorite restaurant, Pizza King. You just have to get to Indiana sometime and, and try Pizza King pizza. Uh, or we praise our, our favorite musical, Hamilton. <laughs> How many of you have seen Hamilton? All right, yeah. How many of you have not seen, can I just see? Okay, I'll be praying for you, okay? So, <laughs> because it's just, you gotta see it. It's just amazing, it's amazing. We praise our favorite things. We, we praise our favorite food, our favorite movie, our favorite book, our favorite place to travel, Italy, <laughs> our favorite place to go. Like we can't help but praise those things. We praise the things that we enjoy. We tell other people about the things that we enjoy. We can't help ourselves. It's just natural, it just flows out of us. So if you enjoy God's presence, you will just naturally praise God. Like, it will just flow out of your being. You won't have to be coached. You won't have to be encouraged. You won't have to be talked into it. You won't have to be guilted into it. Like, you will just do it. Think about how ridiculous it would be if someone said to me, Rod, you really need to praise Pizza King. Like, I don't need an encouragement to praise Pizza King or Hamilton or Italy or, or shrimp cocktail, which I love, <laughs> or pecan pie, which is my favorite dessert of all time. Like, I don't need to be coached. I don't need to be guilted into it. I don't need to be encouraged. I don't need to be told you really. No, you just naturally praise the things that you enjoy because we praise that which brings joy into our life. And when we praise it, it creates this kind of praise loop. And what I mean by that is the more we praise, and this is so true with our relationship with God, 
The more we praise, the more joyous we become. And the more joyous we become, the more we praise. And the more we praise, the more joyous. And the more joyous, the more we praise. Praise just feeds on itself. That's why the people who are the happiest are the people who praise the most. Now, here's what's interesting about praise. You know, sometimes we think that the difference in the people who praise a lot and those who don't praise as much are the circumstances of their lives. But it has nothing to do with the circumstances of our lives. The people who are filled with praise don't necessarily experience more praiseworthy events in their lives. The people who are filled with praise, it's not that God does more praiseworthy things in their lives. It's just that they choose to focus more on what is praiseworthy than on what is not praiseworthy. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't lament. It just means that they don't allow the laments to drown out the praise. That's what's so interesting. You, you guys know that I love Psalms. Psalms are part of my daily time with the Lord. I just love reading through the Psalms. And what's so interesting in the Psalms is that David does not hesitate. You know it if you read the Psalms. He does not hesitate to lament. Like he laments. The Psalms are filled with laments. Like gut-wrenching just this is what I'm feeling. This is the pain I'm going through. This is how much it hurts. Oh God, where are you in the midst? Like he's just, the Psalms are filled with these honest, gut-wrenching laments. But the Psalmist David does not allow the laments to drown out the praise. Like he will lament something. Like you read through it and it's like whiplash. Because you read through it and he's lamenting something like, he's like going, you need to take these people out. You, you, need, to, you need to wipe them, like all this stuff that God's not gonna do, but he just like, he's lamenting to God. And he, when he's lamenting and you're reading it, the sense that you have when you're reading it is, oh, he's gonna be here for a while. Like he's gonna be in this for a while. And then in the next verse, in the next chapter, it is filled with praise. Like he laments, but he does not allow the lament to drown out the praise in his life. It is immediately followed by this incredible song of praise. Praise is a habit of the heart. At first, we usually have to make a conscious decision, right? To praise. Even when we don't feel like praising. Even in seasons of pain and loss, like we feel at sometimes a deeper level during the Advent season, we have to, we have to make a conscious decision to praise. And we don't, we don't praise the pain. It's not like a fake praise. It's not like, oh, I just lost my job, praise the Lord. Like some of us struggled probably to come to faith because you were around those people of just like, oh, we just lost a lot of money. Praise the Lord. Oh, this relationship just went south. Oh, praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. And there was just something in you that was just like, that's not right. Like that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel honest. That doesn't feel true. It's not like we're praising the loss 
or we're praising the pain. It's not that. It's choosing to praise in the midst of the pain. It's choosing to focus on what is praiseworthy in our lives. And no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter how painful it is, no matter how awful it is, no matter how unexpected it is, there is always, always, always something praiseworthy in our lives. God is always at work. We just have to focus on what is praiseworthy and give God praise for it. And the more we praise, the more joyous we become. And the more joyous we become, the more we praise. And over time, the praise moves from being a conscious decision to something that just begins to flow out of our heart, even in the most challenging seasons of life. This Christmas season, what I'm wanting to do as we go into this Advent season, what I'm challenging you to do as we go into this Advent season is just to focus on praise. Give your laments to God. Be honest about your pain. Be honest about your hurts. Be honest about your disappointment. Be honest about the things that you wish were different. But don't get stuck in your pain. Focus on what is praiseworthy. And give God praise. Take a few moments every day to give God praise. You know, it depends, I know, on our stage of life, our season of life, what our schedule's like, whether little kids are running around, work, vocation, all. I, I know it, it varies for all of us. But find in your schedule, find that time every day to focus on what's praiseworthy and to give God praise. For me, in my rhythm, it's, it's at night. At night when I go to bed is when my mind is flooded with thoughts of praise, the things that are praiseworthy from the day the things where I've seen God at work, just the very presence of God in my life, just filled with, filled with praise. And so it's at night, at the end of the day, as I've kind of walked through all the stuff from the day, some stuff amazing and some stuff not so amazing, that I just am able to pause and try to think consciously about what is praiseworthy, as hard as this day may have been, what is praiseworthy today? And give God praise. And then when I get up in the morning is when I turn my attention to God going into this new day with all of these challenges and all of this stuff and 
that's usually when my prayer life is filled with petitions and God, here's what I am asking and here's what I need and here's what my friends need and here's what my family needs and here's what the church needs and here's what I want and, and, and that's the rhythm. Praise at night and petition in the morning and praise at night and petition in the morning and praise at night and petition in the morning. For you, that rhythm may be very, very different, but, but find it. Like find the rhythm that works for you. And this Advent season, if you haven't already established that, create a, create a habit of praise. A habit of praise as we move through the season of Advent that will go beyond the season of Advent. And experience the hope, the joy, the hope that comes from that. God, we have so much to praise you for. Above and beyond everything is this Messiah who who came into our world, came into the darkness of our world to to fix that, to, to restore that, to redeem that, to reconcile that, that we could not do on our own. And we are so thankful for that. We are so thankful for that. We are so thankful. We give you praise as the, the wonderful counselor. We praise you as the, the mighty God. We praise you as the everlasting Father, the hero that we get to call Dad. We praise you as the peace, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom that has come to bring Flourishing, not just into our lives, but into this world and, and to use us to bring that flourishing. Lord, this Advent season, may we be filled with praise. In the name of Jesus, the praiseworthy one, we pray.